chapter six of the private soldier under washington by charles knowles bolton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six camp duties the soldier's life was not passed in idleness uniforms and arms require daily attention before the hour for parade and the endless duties connected with cooking obtaining fuel and caring for the camp provided work for all day in camp began at sunrise with the beating of the reveille or earlier when some important movement was to be executed not infrequently the exact moment of dawn was unknown and the tired men were called from their beds in the dark day was said however to have begun when a sentry could see clearly a thousand yards around him and not before to farmers sons unaccustomed to shave frequently to put powder upon their hair or to brush their clothes a constant regard for personal appearance became at once oppressive during the period of late sunrise the men were instructed to shave in the evening that they might be ready for parade in the morning and their canteens were to be filled at night whenever there was reason to expect an early departure from camp or an attack in the opening years of the war many pickets from ignorance of military life or from carelessness brought trouble upon themselves some went back to their quarters to get provisions leaving their posts unprotected others sat down in comfort under trees and as just stated were so negligent that their guns were stolen from their keeping colonel crafts at one time threatened to punish those who persisted in relieving themselves from duty without the presence of a corporal in september seventeen seventy five the following description of military duty appears in a letter written by a southern rifleman at prospect hill on thursday at firing the morning gun we were ordered to ploughed hill where we lay all that day i took my paper and ink along as you once desired i would but found so much to do beside writing that you had only a few lines manufactured in the face of eighteen battering cannon and there was too much noise for writing and the generals appeared in sight i thought it not quite so decent a posture of a soldier thrust my writing materials under an old blanket shouldered my firelock and strutted with all the parade of a careful lad as the autumn of seventeen seventy five wore on the men became accustomed to the routine and were more alert although some failed to remember the proper password or countersign since it was changed every night a single sentinel demanded the countersign only but the sentry next to the guard upon hearing someone approach demanded who goes there and if many were in view he called to the sergeant of the guard who ordered out his men under arms when officers made the grand round the sergeant demanded the parole a watchword not known to the guard which he repeated to his captain if the parole was given correctly he cried grand round pass general ward's selection of the parole and countersign was intended to impress wisdom upon the lonely sentinel who was forced to remember the words if he was unwilling to accept their lesson the parole industry was given with the countersign wealth neatness with gentility inoculation with health in time of danger the parole look out with the countersign sharp must have suggested to the sentinel the path of duty at valley forge there was a chain of sentinels which surrounded the camp at the distance of a mile the men were relieved daily the following entry in sergeant wilde's journal while at warwick rhode island illustrates very well the performance of guard duty at sundown he writes i carried my men to roll-call 
after the rolls were called i mounted guard with sixteen men under my command i marched with my men about two miles towards the point where i left my guard at eleven o'clock i sent a corporal and four men out as a patrolling party which went down to the point and all round the shore they discovered nothing remarkable came in again about one o'clock at which time i sent out another party which went the rounds as before and came in about three o'clock at which time i sent another party which went the rounds as usual and came in between four and five o'clock and then i sent another party which patrolled till daylight and then came in with the other corporal and four men from the point i went to the commissaries and got a gill of rum per man after i gave it to them i dismissed them guard service in all kinds of weather and sometimes in places of great danger was not the least trying part of a soldier's routine following as it often did days of great bodily exertion and fatigue he who fell asleep while on duty was punished by twenty lashes on the bare back or more if the enemy was near enough to make the crime a dangerous one the hardships which were endured called occasionally for a recommendation of clemency by a court-martial as for instance in the case of george cook who was tried in seventeen seventy seven for sleeping at his post cook had been ill of a fever for several days and unable to sleep the fresh air of his lonely vigil brought relief and he was found fast asleep standing at his place of duty when a sentinel deserted to the enemy he became the subject of comment old countrymen as the soldiers of foreign birth were called never quite gained the confidence of the army and if a man who was reported as gone over to the enemy was known to be an old countryman the fact was emphasized among the rank and file after the evening roll-call washington preferred natives for sentinels and later he chose from them his bodyguard he insisted that officers should place as sentinels at the outpost those whose characters were thoroughly known he therefore orders that for the future no man shall be appointed to those important stations who is not a native of this country or who has a wife or family in it to whom he is known to be attached washington was driven to prefer americans for officers also when the tide of adventurers from across the sea set in so strongly that it threatened to carry congress with it and drive the native officers into retirement lafayette however he continued to treat with an affection very like that of a father for his son honor and kindness while by no means unknown in wartime were not as common in the revolution as the best military standards demand cases might be mentioned which did no credit to royalist or colonist about eight o'clock wrote john clunes in march seventeen seventy nine the rebels sent in a flag of truce to us the british but general powell would not see it and ordered us to fire on them which we did and out of five killed three british treatment of the enemy's outposts was sometimes cruel and uncalled for the following note by lieutenant eld of the coldstream guards describes an experience of his in new jersey i was sent forward with sixty light infantry to attack a rebel picket on the night of the main body of the rebels who were advantageously posted and fortified in a churchyard at a place called paramus the picket was placed at the edge of a wood with a plain of half a mile in the rear i surprised the picket which instantly fled and the most famous chase over the plain ensued we were in at the death of seven 
i had given orders that my party should not fire but use their bayonets after reading these words it may be well to recall an incident which is recorded in simcoe's journal for it shows that all the inhumanity was not confined to king george's men the rebels continually fired at night on the sentinels a figure was dressed up with a blanket coat and posted in the road by which the enemy would probably advance and fires resembling a picket were placed at the customary distance at midnight the rebels arrived and fired twenty or thirty shot at the effigy the next day an officer happening to come in with a flag of truce he was shown the figure and was made sensible of the inhumanity of firing at a sentinel when nothing farther was intended this was not an isolated case for david howe's diary under date of october twenty eighth seventeen seventy six states that riflemen fired at the sentries of the regulars while the british army lay in sight at or near white plains the danger which a sentry encountered came almost wholly from the sabre and the musket-ball but a curious exception recorded by the rev benjamin boardman should be noticed here on monday night july thirty first seventeen seventy five the enemy opened fire upon the continentals from their works in roxbury and a cannon-ball came through the air so close to a sentinel that the man was set to whirling like a top he soon fell to the ground but was found to be only slightly injured a month earlier a soldier died from the wind of a ball as it was called camp life was not devoted wholly to drill or picket duty or cooking although idleness was discouraged cutting wood building fires repairing huts cleaning arms waiting upon officers tramping a road through the brush to facilitate the hauling of firewood serving in the grass guard to watch and protect the horses while feeding or making cartridges were useful services which kept the privates out of mischief the construction of earthworks building of whaleboats and other occupations incident to a campaign filled the men's time while in more active service in the expedition to crown point under arnold all hands were employed on occasion in necessary work men were divided into squads some to bake bread some to go in search of game or to spend their time in fishing others to cut timber or mount cannon in south carolina seines were provided for the continental troops that were detailed to fish temporary field works of earth were not in favor in europe a century and more ago they were held to be unmilitary and to foster cowardice but the defenses thrown up at bunker hill in a night proved effective in checking the british advance the firelock behind loose earth weighed heavily against disciplined bravery and the lesson once learned the continentals entered more and more into the construction of such works the lines were first marked on the ground in the angular forms so often shown in illustrated histories covering this period the gabions stakes interwoven with twisted bundles of switches like baskets without bottoms were then set on the lines three or four deep and earth dug up alongside was thrown in fascines bundles of switches about six feet long were then piled up on the outside and inside and were held in place by stakes four feet long driven down through them more fascines were laid on top of the gabions and the whole was then covered with earth and with sod 
in the space between the foot of the outer slope and the ditch or fosse which was a customary part of the works wooden pickets were frequently planted as was the case at bunker hill in october seventeen seventy five redoubts sometimes had as additional works half-moon structures or transes as at prospect hill farmers accustomed to handle the spade soon grew experienced in this form of labor expert artisans were called upon to make paper for bank-notes print proclamations and provide many articles in constant demand these men were usually excused from all other duties and found it to their advantage to exhibit their ability when called upon the dearth of skilled artisans in america is well illustrated by the petition presented to congress in seventeen seventy six in which sundry paper-makers prayed that nathan sellers of colonel pascal's battalion might be ordered home to make and prepare moulds washers and utensils for carrying on the paper manufactory the gun-barrel maker the saltpetre maker and he of the nailer's business were in such demand that they could hardly be spared for military service forges had been set up all over the colonies giving employment to iron-workers and gunsmiths the latter were not numerous and a few of these accepted the bait or bribe of high wages in england offered by leading royalists and left the country some of the soldiers were ordered to act as servants to their officers but as this kept many able-bodied men from active service and led to abuses it was discontinued by general orders at valley forge in seventeen seventy eight knowledge of music was also in demand in the boston campaign the drums and fifes of each regiment were regularly instructed by the regimental drum major and fife major and their music stirred the men as martial music does to-day when drums were not to be had french horns were used in the campaign of seventeen seventy nine against the six nations two men were cut down by the indians tomahawks later colonel proctor ordered his musicians in passing the spot to play the touching air of rosslyn castle the soft and moving notes of which cast a hush upon the regiment and awakened pity for their comrades the pioneers march was another tune used at the time the memory of one master of the drum should be kept green for he helped to while away many tedious hours during the northern campaign of seventeen seventy six tibbles was his name and as the boatmen sang at their oars they were upon the lake he would give one touch upon the drum which seemed to bring every voice into harmony the soldiers half covered with water as they lay in the boats forgot the loneliness and gloom of the darkening night the music lingered in each man's memory long after the voices and drums were still it is probable that yankee doodle had little or no vogue in the army and the statement by annuary that the lively air was a favorite of favorites the lover's spell the nurse's lullaby is open to serious question at funerals the impressive tune funeral thoughts with its drumbeat at the end of each line was sometimes played washington made use of the artisan in the army whenever it was possible but there were many occasions when capable hands were able to turn a penny after the soldier's day had closed early in the war barter and private labor prevailed among the thrifty to a surprising degree men worked at their trades during the hours between the retreat which beat at sunset and the tattoo which was sounded at eight or nine o'clock 
the makers of shoes leather breeches or caps earned money and by their work aided to some extent the efforts of the colonies to clothe the army david howe a private at the siege of boston bought and sold cider chestnuts arms and clothing a few lines from his diary will show the busy life that a soldier might lead when not on duty twenty five day january seventeen seventy six i bought seven bushels of chestnuts and gave four posterins per bushel thirty we have sold nuts and cider every day this week thirty one i bought four bushels of apples and gave twelve shillings per bushel for them twenty two february peter gage stayed here last night and i bought three pair of shoes of him at five and six per pair i bought a pair of stocking and gave five and four for them twenty three i sold a pair of shoes for six and eight twenty six i sold my cartridge box for four and six lawful money at the time he carried on this trading he was quartered in one of the buildings at harvard college and did his share of fatigue made cartridges ran ball and even served his turn as cook for the company a curious agreement made between a soldier and a landowner near camp stipulated that the former was to clear a certain tract of land fit for mowing and was to receive a hundred dollars paper currency but if headquarters moved before he had finished the work he was to receive payment for what he had done among the many duties incident to army life the observance of sunday as a day for religious teaching was not forgotten washington himself impressed upon the men under his command the value of christian character and his own example must have aided the chaplains in their difficult labors public prayers were a part of the daily or sunday routine followed by the reading of orders and usually the roll-call washington's attitude toward religion in the army was unmistakably set forth when he said to the distinguished character of a patriot it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a christian and congress ready to promote the same ideals voted september eleventh seventeen seventy seven to import twenty thousand bibles it is curious to notice that all the members from new england were in favor of the measure and all those from the southern states except georgia were recorded as against it although lee of virginia and lawrence of south carolina were with the north a chaplain who it is said prayed and sang with the brigade has described the preparation made for services the music march up and the drummers lay their drums in a very neat style in two rows one above the other it always takes five and often the rows are very long occasionally they make a platform for me to stand upon and raise their drums a number of tears the sermon on sunday usually at eleven was often of a practical nature it referred to the hardships and the duties of a soldier it urged upon him temperance and vigilance cleanliness and honesty in many cases as in those cited herewith the minister altered the text to suit his need rev john gano who was attached to clinton's division of the expedition against the six nations in seventeen seventy nine was asked to preach to the troops at cannergery and was requested to dwell a little more on politics than he usually did he preached from the words of moses come go thou with us and we will do thee good for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life but with us thou shalt be in safeguard 
reverend mr kirtland preached september fifteenth seventeen seventy six to the new jersey troops at fort schuyler from the text he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad upon the fourth of july mr gano took for his text these words this day shall be a memorial unto you throughout your generations but these suggestive sermons did not always attract the men and even when they were present discipline was not maintained as rigidly as would be the case to-day to increase the audience a penalty was once imposed for absence from worship a few hours spent in digging out stumps in a new york woodland proved effective it should be said in defence of the men that the preaching was not always worth a hearing mr bliss said a fellow clergyman preached at cambridge august twenty seventeen seventy five from those words in deuteronomy twenty three nine through fourteen and had he have digested his subject might have done well but attempting to extemporize it was as it was the critic himself however rather outdid mr bliss on the following sunday when as he records he preached the entire day but perhaps he had relays of listeners and not one weary throng as might be inferred rev mr gano was a serviceable preacher when he was informed that many of the soldiers before whom he was to preach on a certain sunday were six and nine months men whose departure from the army would be unfortunate he told his listeners that he could aver of the truth that our lord and saviour approved of all those who had engaged in his service for the whole warfare the rank and file were much amused and those who had engaged for the whole war forced many short-term men by their jesting to re-enlist but the laugh was not always on the minister's side during the winter at valley forge many parsons were at home as the men were too poorly clad to stand in the cold and listen to preaching mr gano was away on leave when he returned to camp he asked a soldier how his commander and the men had fared the soldier replied gravely that they had suffered all winter without hearing the word of god mr gano explained that it was their comfort he had had in mind true said the soldier but it would have been consoling to have had such a good man near us deeply touched mr gano told general van cortland of his encounter van cortland a little later asked to have the soldier pointed out to him and was surprised to see the worst reprobate in the regiment End of chapter 6